Hello, hello, and thanks for checking out episode 96 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports, our guest is a four-time Paralympian, and uh, she actually competed in the Paralympics in the early days of the Games, and uh, has some very interesting insight on uh, what those times were like back then and kind of how that compares to today. She was also a longtime educator and still very involved in supporting children in many ways, uh, very involved in her community, and also a longtime member of ACB, the American Council of the Blind. So let's get rolling now with episode 96. Okay, so my guest here on this episode of the podcast is Donna Brown, and Donna is a four-time Paralympian and a longtime educator and also a member of the board of directors of the American Council of the Blind. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Absolutely. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat. I know you've got uh, quite a life story and a lot of things you've done. Uh, and you know sports wise and even outside of the the fields and, and tracks and everything and pools uh, so we definitely got plenty to get into here uh, so first off donna just talk to us about kind of your your early years where you're from originally and, and your childhood yeah so i was born and raised in pottstown pennsylvania which is about 30 miles west of philadelphia pennsylvania uh, i am one of three siblings with uh, visual impairment. We were all born with glaucoma. And hmm. I had a little bit of vision, very little, uh, shadows and some colors till I was maybe about 11, then lost all my light perception by 14 or so. Kind of went gradually. So I really don't know when it was gone. I attended the Overbrook School for the Blind for my kindergarten through 12th grade edu uh, school education. And that's kind of where I got my start well, with organized athletics. Um, I think I was born to kind of be interested in athletics. I, when I was six, my sighted friends in the neighborhood knew how to ride a bike and had bikes. And I said, I want to learn how to ride a bike. I'm going to ride a bike. And so my parents uh, got me a used bike and, and it wasn't too long. I was riding that bike and I was pretty determined. I roller skated, skateboarded the whole thing with all of them, played tag and baseball and climbed trees and street sign poles. And I just was very active. And I, I always say, I don't know how my mother survived my childhood. <laughs> I was very active. <laughs> right. She couldn't keep up with you. Yeah. It sounds like. <laughs> Wow. So it sounds like your parents, though, they really kind of let you do your thing and encourage you to be active and not, you know, just sitting around in spite of your visual impairment. Right. Yes. Yes. They they did not hold any of us back. All three of us are, are different, but um, they did not hold any of us back with the things that we were interested in. And, and they encouraged us to succeed. And, and actually, my dad, when I started uh track and jump i was a jumper and he kind of designed a jump pit in in our backyard so they, they were very supportive right right interesting and so i know you did mention uh, attending the overbrook school for the blind there in pennsylvania and uh did your your other siblings attend there as yes, well yes they did 
Right. Was that pretty much, you know, a given that you, were, you guys were going to attend a school for the blind or was there any discussion about mainstreaming? Or- well, interesting. Um, when I was going into eighth grade, I believe it was eighth or ninth grade. I can't remember. Uh, that's kind of when the PL 94, 142 were mainstreaming. It was really starting to uh, be talked about and encouraged. And, and so the county where we lived in wanted us to come to the the school, you know, in our home district. And so they came to Overbrook to interview us and and to follow us around and to see, you know, what we were up to and all that kind of thing. And and so I when they interviewed me, I said, when when and if I go to public school, will I be able to be in the music program? I was in the band and stuff at the time and and they said, well, maybe not. I said, well, you know, probably if you're not going to let me in band, you're probably not going to let me run track or, you know, do any sports. And they kind of said, probably not. I said, well, I'm not going. I'm... So I kind of started my advocating right then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, learn pretty young. Yeah. <laughs> and I did not go. I graduated from Overbrook and we all did graduated from Overbrook. Right. A lot of school districts early on were not prepared to have you sure. know, blind and especially active, you know, blind students who really wanted to be involved in things. Right. Right. Absolutely. Which in this day and age is kind of hard to imagine, yes. but, you know, it was definitely a different time. And then so just focusing a little more on your, your sports uh, career and kind of aspirations at the time. Um, so I know you had mentioned to me uh, track and field. Was that kind of your was that your first main sport that you really focused on? Yes. Um, when I was at Overbrook, when I was in seventh grade, which uh, Overbrook, along with all the other schools on the East Coast, uh, all the other schools for the blind compete in what's called the Eastern Athletic Association for the Blind, the EAAB. And at that time, early on, they only had really sports other than cheerleading everything was for guys track there was no girls track there was no swimming of any kind um of course the boys had wrestling there was no goalball at the time and the girls did cheerleading but when i was in seventh grade they started girls track and that was in the fall opposite of boys track uh and so that was really and, and i'm not the cheerleading type so i I did cheerling only because it was the thing to do, but uh, track was really my thing. And so starting in seventh grade, I was pretty successful uh, right away. We kind of went into this track season, not really knowing at all what we were doing. We were all new at it and we really didn't know how to train. Like I ran the 440, which was now the 400 meter. Um, and I really had no idea what I was doing. I just ran hard the, I tried to run hard the whole way. (laughs) And so I was pretty successful right away. So I did track all through seventh grade through 12th grade. And then my senior year, they started a swim team uh, in the EAB. And so I swam too. Right, right. And I'm curious, just, you know, both of those sports, what would you say you enjoy most about track and and swimming? I think with track, uh, I, I really enjoyed having the opportunity number one to travel to other schools and and meet other people from other schools but also with track there there's so many events and over those 6 years 7th through 12th grade 
you know, your body kind of changes. And, and I had the opportunity to try various events. And when I was in ninth grade, I think it was, we had a new phys ed teacher and she said, I, I really think you're a jumper, not really a runner. And, you know, by the time I was a junior, I mean, that was, she was right. Uh, so hmm. I, I still did some running, but I, I did mostly jumps. Then by the time I was a senior, um, they had track, we had tracked the same time the guys did. And so that really was kind of good. It really gave me an opportunity to jump. I mean, the guys could jump further than I could, but I learned a lot from them, uh, a lot of technique and, and things like that from those guys. And so that was really neat. Sure. Sure. Interesting. And then when I was a sophomore, that was 1976, and that was going to be the first year that the blind uh, were going to be part of the Paralympics, and it was in Toronto, Canada that year. And so wow. they really tapped into the schools for the blind. The USABA, United States Association of Blind Athletes, was not formed yet. And so hmm. the way the organizers or the U.S. people or, I, you know, I don't really know how these people, you know, got it started, but um, they really tapped into the schools for the blind. And so actually four of us from Overbrook made that first Paralympic team uh, and I was one of them. So, yeah, that was really neat. Mm. Yeah, I'm definitely curious a little more, you know, what did that mean to you to kind of be on the ground level, ground floor, being a blind athlete in the Paralympics? You know, each Paralympics I was in was very different. But when I was 16, uh, you know, I, I knew it was an honor to be selected to something like that. I remember when we got the letters saying, you know, that we were accepted. We all started skipping around the school and, you know, <laughs> anyway, anyway, it was it was quite a celebration. <laughs> um, but what I remember most, my mom got to go to that Paralympics as a spectator and that was the only one she was able to get to. So that was quite an honor. But also, I just remember, you know, I, I didn't really know a whole lot about the Olympics. I mean, I would listen to the Olympics and stuff, but I didn't really know about like the opening ceremonies and, and things like that. And so when we were lining up for the opening ceremonies, uh, we were near Canada. Of course, they were the host country. And so the United States is almost always at the end. And uh, so we got to really know the Canadian athletes. And anyway, we really had nice dress up uniforms, you know, to wear for the opening ceremonies, a nice, you know, pants and jacket. And I remember I was real small and my pants were kind of big on me. And so they <laughs> they went, I went behind this thing and they were sewing up, you know, fixing my pants as we were waiting in line for the opening ceremonies <laughs> anyway, but to march into that stadium was just unreal. And then to actually compete and I won a silver medal in the long jump and to actually stand on the medal stand. I mean, I just had no idea what that kind of stuff all was about in, in the Olympics. I knew people got medals and, you know, but uh, until you, you know, especially as a blind person, we, we don't see it on TV in the same way. And so until you actually uh, actually do it, it, it just means something totally different. And so it's just something I'll never forget. And I remember with my Paralympic medal, 
uh, when I went back to school that year, I had ceramics class and I made a plate um, and the center of the plate had the design of, of my metal uh, on it or, you know, anyway, that was, and it had 1976 Paralympics or something. I forget, you know what, I still have that plate somewhere. Right. Right. Wow. Very neat. And uh, so obviously we've come a long way in terms of, you know, media coverage. You oh, know, there's yes. still challenges out yeah. there, you know, as far as the Paralympic Games go. But I mean, were you interviewed by any newspaper reporters? Was there any coverage on TV that you recall? I, th there was no coverage on TV. Um, and mm. the main newspaper coverage that I remember was my hometown before I right. went and then after I came back. I don't really recall how uh, there being a whole lot of media coverage you know during the games but I, remember I was quite young and and you know they may have interviewed coaches or something like that and you know i just didn't really know that but i know it was nothing like it is today sure sure absolutely and then if i understand correctly as well the paralympics was held at a different time than the olympics kind of like you know different than it is now where it's you know a couple of weeks or a month after the regular olympic games right yeah um if i remember right it was held uh in a different city in 76 the the regular olympics were in montreal and ours were in toronto and they were not at the same time but they weren't too far apart i i don't really remember exactly how far apart oh, i see and then i i uh, made the 1980 team also and again that was when the u.s boycotted going to russia but because ours oh, that's right. yeah ours were being held in in holland uh we were able to go to the paralympics hmm. wow wow yeah. <laughs> definitely a different geopolitical time <laughs> yeah 1988 in korea was the first year that they were in the same uh location same venues and everything oh, i see yep and then so rewinding back to 1980 so was it also the long jump no well not directly so in 1980 um well first before the 1980 paralympics um, the USABA began in 1977, and they had national competitions every year, every spring. And um, so the way they had the national set up, a person got to had the opportunity to try all kinds of events. And so and that was kind of the person that I was. I wanted to try everything. And so that's when I started swimming harder and, and more. And so in 1980, I was selected to be part of the swim team as well as part of the track team. And so I swam, uh, let's see, a relay and then a couple of individual events. I can't remember. But at that time in track, they had a pentathlon, which is five events. And, you know, it's kind of like the decathlon in the regular Olympics. And so right. four of the events were track events and then one was a swimming event and two of the track events were two of my stronger events the long jump being one of them and the 400 being another and so um they had the track and field events first and i was in fifth place after those four track and field events and then after the swimming i moved up to third place you know overall for so anyway that was that was pretty cool wow wow very neat 
And yeah, just to compete in two sports yeah. uh, in one games, I know it's in general is very unusual in any, whether it's the Olympics or Paralympics. Right. So yeah, kudos to you on that, to the, that achievement. <laughs> yeah. And then that same Paralympics, I won a gold medal as part of a relay. Oh, wow. Wow. So back-to-back -back Paralympics and, and you medaled in both of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then I, I skipped 94, which... You know, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, because I was here in the United States. And again, though, that was in New York where the regular Olympics was in Los Angeles. But that was right. right when I started my teaching job. And I really thought my Paralympic days were over. But that wasn't to be. I went to USABA Nationals a couple of times. And then in 1988, they wanted, well, 1987, really, they told me that to start focusing on swimming. Uh, they really wanted me to consider, you know, being part of the 88 uh, Paralympic swim team. And I did, and I was. Now, I did not medal in, in that in, in Korea. But it was still an honor. Number one, I remember swimming, like saying I was swimming in the same lane Janet Evans swam in and, you know, things like that. Jumped off the same starting block she did. <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah. And like you said, the fact that the Olympics were held, you know, in the same venue yes. as well as the Paralympics, yeah. just that whole connection. And once again, the first time for that happening. Pretty neat. Yes. <laughs> and then 1992 wow. was probably my best Paralympics. I, I was probably at, you know, my peak and uh, I swam there and I, um, we got, I got gold medal on two relays. I finished mm. uh, fifth in the 50 freestyle, just like less than a second out of third. <laughs> no, <Right>. But anyway, <laughs> that's... Wow. Yeah. Very neat. Yeah. So how many total medals did you collect? I have five Paralympic career? medals. Five medals. Yes. Wow. I'm sure those are pretty prized, uh, you know, prized possessions. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right? Yes, they are. Nice. Yep. So kind of reflecting on your career, I'm curious, you know, for those listening out there who might be interested in, you know, trying to work their way toward the Paralympics or just kind of, you know, elite sports in general, what kind of advice do you have for someone like that? Well, I think probably my first advice is reaching the Paralympics and not many people do it and that's okay. Uh, I think the, the thing to remember most is uh, being involved in some kind of exercise is the first important thing of, of all that. If that gets you interested and, and, you know, maybe you've got the support and, and the interest, the skills or whatever to make it to the Paralympics, that that's real good. But I, 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 think the first goal for everyone should be to be a part of some kind of exercise program. And that can, who knows, you know, where, where that might take you. I, I still exercise today. So. Yeah. I know you're quite the, the workout uh, junkie from what I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I am curious since your Paralympic days, uh, I assume you have competed in some other events. I, ha I have. Different yes. Things along the, the way. Yeah. So, um, I actually uh, went to the Paralympic trials in 1996 and 2000, and it was hard. Mm -hmm. I did not make either one of those teams, and, and that was tough. That I wasn't used to that. But I, I 
just wanted to keep trying. And then I decided after 2000, you know, uh, this, this might be it, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to stop exercising. And actually then I entered a master's program and it really would have been a little hard to, to swim at that level. Um, because it, it does, it, it takes a lot of your time and you really need to give up a lot of things in order to swim at the national or international level well any sport and not just swimming but in 2007 uh here in i live in romney west virginia which is a small town but they opened a wellness center and it has a 25 yard pool and of course i was there right on opening day and i've been going there ever since um swimming and then I do other things. I do some of the exercise classes and lift weights and you know all that. And so they started some of the people I, I started to get to know people over the years, you know, and people from all walks of life, some people who really didn't do much exercise and until this wellness center came. Some people were avid exercisers, you know, runners or you know, whatever, weightlifters or, or whatever. But anyway, so one day I went in and was going to one of the exercise classes called CrossFit and where we do all kinds of stuff. And this one guy said, how would you like to do a triathlon? I hmm. said, well, I've always wanted to do one. And several of the people were training for a sprint triathlon and it was going to take place in I think it was three weeks and he said it was called Rocky Gap and he said how would you like to do the Rocky Gap triathlon and I said that's only three weeks away how, how can I do that <laughs> I said I need somebody he he was kind of injured but he could still bike and he had a tandem bike and he said I'll bike with you if you can find somebody to uh, swim with you and somebody to run with you I said, well, I, I will work on it. Well, the next day I saw him and he said, I've already got somebody to run with you. You, you, just, you try to find somebody to swim with you. Well, I did. And so <laughs> I, I went and did this triathlon. I hadn't really done a whole lot of running and I've never hmm. swam in open water in a lake. I mean, I've right. swam in it just playing, but not competing. And sure. they left us come, you know, a few days ahead and do like a practice. Anybody could do that. It wasn't just me. And <laughs> first of all, the water was really cold. I had a wetsuit on, but whew, it took my breath away. It was cold. <laughs> and um, but anyway, swimming in that open water was very, very different. I had the gentleman swimming with me swim on my right side because that's my stronger breathing side and I thought I could hear him better if I needed to. And so, you know, we kind of worked out a system that if I was, you know, going off course, he would either nudge me over, you know, or pull me over or talk to me. You know, if I didn't respond talking, then he would, you know, nudge me or whatever. And he was a much stronger swimmer than I was, and that's what I wanted. Um so anyway, I went and did that triathlon and really had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, you swim first and, and it took me forever to get my shoes on and, and my shirt and everything to get on the bike that was next and then the run. Uh, but I finished right. and everything and, you know, it was, it was okay. 
um, in triathlons, and it doesn't matter at what level, if as a blind person, if you have somebody different doing each event, your results can't count toward like medals or anything. So, oh, I see. you know, I didn't have that, but that was okay. My, my goal was to do it because I'd never done it before. And then my goal was to finish and, and I did that. So, and then gotcha. I had the opportunity to do three or four more after that. Mm. Wow. And I'm curious, did you progress, you know, time-wise well, as, yeah, as time went on? It's a those, little or? hard to compare sometimes in, in, if they're at different places, because some of the things are different. So True. one of the ones I did, the swim was actually in a pool. And so of course I could do that swim myself. And then I had the same guy bike with me and run with me. So my results could count on that one. And I think I finished second in my age group or something. Um, but because of the swim distance was a little different and obviously the terrain is a little bit different uh it was on a trail the bike and the run and so i really couldn't compare my time you know with the first one that i did that was the second one so it was hard because it, it wasn't the swim was not the same distance and but then the next one i did was at the same location as the very first one and my time was a good bit better the second time mm -hmm. what really made the difference was my run was a lot faster uh, i had been doing oh, some I running i i had people you know run with me pretty regularly and and i did actually a little bit more biking too sure sure so. yeah i was curious of the three triathlon you know events what would you say is the most challenging well probably well you know it, it, swimming in the lake was a challenge i mean it, it it's it's so different i i really felt like i could not get any speed each, even though I did it a few times, it it still just never really, I don't know, I, I just never felt real comfortable with it. And the bike, I, I just, I don't have an opportunity, you know, to, to bike a lot. I, I like bike, biking, actually. I, I wish I could do that more. And then the the run is a challenge just because that's the last thing and you're pretty tired when you get there. Right. <laughs> No doubt. And uh, so I know you definitely referenced guides. I'm sure you've had a number of guides in your athletic career. Yes. <laughs> over the years. Yeah. And I'm curious, what would you say are kind of the keys to, you know, having a successful relationship uh, with guide and, and competitor? Uh, first of all, communication, you know, d d talking and kind of developing maybe some sort of, I guess you could say hand signals. I, I use a tether, but there's a way to do, you know, hand signals and stuff with those. Like, for example, um, you know, when, when you run on the, in those triathlons, you're running like cross country, you know, you're running in, in through the woods and, you know, various terrains. And, and so we worked on, um, you know, cause it's, it's sometimes you just can't verbally communicate everything. And so, like, if there was kind of a, a a rough terrain where maybe, like, we had to step up a little bit or something, they would raise their hand up and I could feel that, you know. We made sure we decided which was a, a good length for the tether to be, uh, you know, so that we could, I could feel the communication, you know, with the, 
with my guide. Um, and certainly verbal communication is, is important. Um, and I, as, as the athlete, I think it's your responsibility to tell them, you know, what you want them to tell you. Like I, I kind of wanted to know, you know, when I was a mile out and when I was, you know, half mile to go or it, you know, if they could tell, you know, um, sure. and I, I sort of, you know, kind of wanted to know, like, if there was somebody, you know, 10 yards ahead of me or whatever that I thought maybe I could catch or something, you know. <laughs> yep, yep, giving you that inside scoop. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's amazing. I, <laughs> um, and I was in one of the triathlons and, and it was one of those you go out and you turn around and come back kind of runs and um when we were going out this guy came past us and he i guess did not know i couldn't see and was kind of mad that my guide didn't move out of his way and then when he came back he he saw you know because he was coming toward us then and, and he saw that and he apologized and which i thought was really nice and but you know, I, I know in some races, they, you know, blind runners are encouraged to wear some kind of something that says, you know, blind runner or whatever. And, you know, at first when I heard of that, I thought, oh, gosh, but that's not really a bad thing. It's, it's probably really for your benefit and, and your guide. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it kind of even goes back to just self-identifying yeah. as a blind person and yeah. how a lot of people do struggle with that at times, so... Was also going to ask you about tethers. I know there are a variety of tethers out there, and you know, in terms of material, hand tethers, waist oh, I tethers. I just use a shoelace. You... Okay, I, I, I'm, easy I'm not into anything fancy; <laughs> just a shoelace. <laughs> right. And then I um, right. I tie it so that there's a hand held, or, you know, likes to put your hand through at each end. And I don't know if my guide put, you know, if they put their hand through, but I I do. I just feel like it, it's gonna, it's not going to fall out of my hand that way right exactly yep so i did want to get into a few other things here just in terms of your career and other interests and whatnot um so i understand that you taught uh, for about four decades uh, yeah. is it a blind school 37 <laughs> years at the west virginia school for the blind yes wow wow and what did you teach well i taught all kinds of things um i kind of began my <laughs> career teaching like the special ed uh then i my most of my years were spent teaching elementary, primarily third and fourth grade. Hmm. I taught Braille over the years. I, I taught um, actually one year health and maybe two years, one one or two years health and phys ed. Uh, my last five years, I was a what they call a technology integration specialist. Actually, my last five years in the classroom. I was a technology integration specialist. And what that meant was I worked with the students on learning, you know, the assistive technology, but I also worked with the teachers in giving them ideas of how to incorporate technology into their curriculum. And of course, hmm. worked with them on some of the assistive technology and how that could help, you know, them and their students. Right. But then my last three years, I was a technology specialist for the whole state of West Virginia. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> so I traveled so, a good bit. Yeah, I was going to say that's a big area to cover, just any any big, you know, any whole state. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of trainings. Uh, I was amazed <laughs> that the number of educators, special educators that knew nothing of Bookshare. So hmm. I pretty much introduced that in the state and did a lot of trainings on how to use Bookshare. Uh, but then I also did trainings uh, with blind and visually impaired students on, you know, the assistive technology devices and worked with the teachers and the students and learning how to use those. Good way to end my career. Exactly. Yeah. And what uh, kind of reflecting on your career, what would you say are the biggest takeaways? What did you learn most? What did you enjoy most? Well, first of all, I really enjoyed working with the students. I, I just really have a passion and and I had the opportunity when I was a technology integration specialist to work with students of all grade levels. I even went like into the preschool classroom and hmm. you know we did some technology stuff and and you know I I had to really think outside the box and be creative but but I always enjoyed those challenges. <laughs> uh but I I just really enjoyed working with the students. Uh, it's just so rewarding when you see progress and you see excitement, you know, in, in their learning and that kind of thing. That's pretty rewarding. But I also enjoyed having the opportunity to teach all different subject areas. Now, the only subject area I was asked to teach that I did not enjoy was middle school math. That was, Ooh. <laughs> well, it, we needed, you know, I, I, we kind of shared the load, a couple of other people. They did the high school and I did the middle school. And I was very, very happy when we got a full-time math teacher on board. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, could be a challenge in a lot of ways. And so you did mention uh, teaching phys ed, physical education a little bit, and I was curious about that. And just as far as coaching, have you had the chance to oh, coach? Oh, I've coached for oh. years. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, early on, let's see, I, I think I, I forget how many years I coached track for a, a while. And the, then I kind of got out of it when I was really training hard for the Paralympics and stuff. I, I just it was really hard to find the time. Um, so then I, I really didn't coach anything for several years. And then I don't know, for some reason they needed a, a track coach uh, one year. And so I've been coaching track ever since good grief. I don't know how many years. Uh, <laughs> and then when I, I forget how that came about, somebody retired that was coaching swimming or somebody left or something. And because I really, really wanted to coach swimming. That's really my favorite sport to coach. And so I was just sort of waiting for the opportunity to apply to be a swim coach. Uh, you know, because here at the school, as long as you want to coach, you can coach. And mm -hmm. so I kind of had to wait for my opportunity. Uh, but I've been coaching swimming then ever since. I I can't remember how many years, quite a few. Right. So right. I'm still, even retired, I'm still coaching swimming and track at the school. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm on the Very substitute neat. teaching list, so I still can do it. I see. Yeah. 
Do you get kind of similar satisfaction out of coaching oh, yeah. compared to well, actually competing? It, well, it gives me an opportunity to be with the kids. And oh, yeah. so I, I yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a little different. Coaching now is a little bit different than what was when I started. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, it's a little hard. Many of them, the students, and it's it's not just at the school for the blind. It's across the board. I I talk to coaches out in the in the public schools. Uh, the work ethic is not the same as it once was, hmm. and and the desire to work at it so that you can get better is is not there like it used to be. So it's a challenge. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, that's kind of a shame to hear, but. I guess it makes you have to to work a little bit harder as a coach, right? You do, and and you just have to be so thoughtful of of what you ask kids to do. That's right, and creative, and and kind of thinking outside the box. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. But yeah, that is pretty neat that you can still be connected to the school, you know, in in your retirement years. So I did mention that you are a board member uh, for the American Council of the Blind, ACB, and uh, definitely curious how you got involved in ACB and just talk to me about kind of your, your involvement over the years. Yeah. So back in the mid 80s, I, I started teaching here at the School for the Blind in August of 1983. And um, I maybe about three years into my teaching, one of the teachers at the school who at that time had low vision, and she invited me to the state conference of the Mountain State Council of the Blind, which is ACB's West Virginia affiliate. And she invited me to the convention and it wasn't going to be too far away from here. And uh, they actually had a vehicle going from the school because the principal from the school was, you know, on the program. And so he drove us. And so I went, I really didn't know anything about the American Council of the Blind. I, and and really, even at that time, I really didn't know much about the National Federation of the Blind. Mm. So um, I went and I really enjoyed myself. I, I got to meet new people and I always enjoy meeting new people. And I just really liked, you know, the activities and, and the projects that they, you know, were going to be working on and, and that kind of thing. So I kind of, I joined the Mountain State Council, my first national convention was in 1987 in Los Angeles. Um, And that was kind of an overwhelming experience. I did the same thing that many people do at their first convention. I signed up for all these tours (laughs) because I thought that they all sounded really neat. And I did go on most of them, but not all of them. I just just couldn't. Um, And I I have not gone to every convention since then. I, I missed some years. Some of the years were Paralympic years, and it was hard, you know, to go to the convention and and the Paralympics and, you know, that kind of thing. So then I kind of got away from ACB for a while. Our Mountain State Council sort of kind of went inactive for, oh, several years, 10 years, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Um, and then back in early 2000s, around 2000. Four, I think we started, uh, we got rechartered. And um, and so I've been going to 
conventions. I've gone to every convention now since 2007. I'd gone to a few mm. others in, in between that, but uh, I, I haven't missed any since 2007. And, wow. you know, eventually I, I just started getting interested in some national things. And what really started me to get interested in national things is when they started the ACB walk in 2009 in Orlando. And, um, you know, I raised a little bit of money, but at that, during that walk, it was actually part of a 5k run and I was in pretty good running shape at the time. And so, um, when you signed up, you indicated your ability. And so they tried to have a guide and I had a wonderful guide. And the problem was it was so blasted crowded, thousands of people. We, didn't really get to run the whole time because it was just too crowded. <laughs> so hmm. we ran when we could. But um, anyway, that kind of started my involvement in ACB. And so I participated in the next several walks and each year, you know, started getting a few more donations. And, and so I don't remember 2011 or 12, they asked me to be on the walk committee and then, you know, just sort of started from there and eventually I became chair of the walk committee and sort of started getting interested in, you know, other aspects of ACB and uh, was on the board of publications for one year. But then I uh, ran for the board and I've been on the board now and I co-chair few committees and I'm actually one of the people on the team that started the ACB mentoring program. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very neat. And uh, so as far as get up and get moving, definitely wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I've not been on that committee or anything, but I certainly support the, you know, get up and moving campaign and, and, you know, I, I hope it, well, it's going to be resurrected, actually. I, I already know that, but um, <laughs> I certainly, you know, encourage people to get up and get moving. I mean, that's, that's you know, it, it's a part of my life. So I, I, and I still go to the gym every morning at six. And Sure, sure. Yeah, I did have uh, Connie Sims on this podcast a few months back to talk, you know, more specifically about the committee and the campaign and everything. And you know, I would love to see ACB do even more when it comes to, you know, sports and recreation and fitness. And I feel like this is a really nice start, a kind of push toward that goal, it seems like. Yeah, so um, our Mountain State Council of the Blind, we're having our convention here in a couple of weeks in person. And while... You know, it's not the most active activity. One of the things we are doing as a group is going bowling. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, that's I, – I said we're going to be back in person for the first time since 2019. I said let's plan an activity where nobody has to do any planning really um, other than <laughs> in this case in the bowling alley is a half a block from the hotel. Um, yep. And so in this case, really all that anybody had to do is reserve the bowling lanes and – you know, very minimal that anybody's going to have to do for it to, you know, go through. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of get up and get moving. And, and we plan to walk to the bowling alley, you know, so. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, lots of times you're at a convention and, and there is very little moving. So. 
I was glad exactly. it was somebody you know came up with that idea. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Everybody can kind of do that at some you know some way. Right, right. Oh yeah, and like you said, the walk, the Brenda Dillon Memorial yeah. Walk, has been going on now for quite a few years. Fifteen. This was the fifteenth year. Fifteen years. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I know that's raised a ton of money for ACB yes. in that time frame. And which this is awesome. this year, well, at least as far as West Virginia is concerned, I think some other uh, affiliates. Um, we we had some new people come on board uh, with the walk, you know, supporting our team and and actually being a part of the walk. There were some new people, younger people, um, from hmm. our affiliate at the convention, and they all participated in the walk so that was exciting for me oh yeah absolutely great to hear and i'm curious uh, any other hobbies any other passions um, interests you'd like to mention yeah well i i'm very involved in the community i i'm a member of the lions club and so i participate in you know a lot of activities in fact tomorrow night we kind of collaborate a lot with the Parks and Recreation Committee, or whatever you call that, um, in in the area, and they they have a bingo, and so the Lions Club we help. My job is to count the number of players because that's critical in how much money people win. Uh, oh, cool! Yeah, um, and last <laughs> week we helped out at a um, they had a recreation program. It was a family day in the park, and they had games for kids and adults, and so the Lions Club helped with the kids' games, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm really involved in the community. I'm very involved in my church. I, I'm the Sunday school director and uh, I certainly participate in, you know, activities at my church. In fact, Saturday we have a picnic for the senior, the old people is what I say. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, I, and then I, I serve on the board of the Hampshire County Special Services Sheltered Workshop, which is the workshop for you know, students with special needs, and it, it's a oh wow yeah it it's a big thing in the community. They they do a lot of things in the community. They mow lawns. They have a cleaning service. They I don't know what else they do. They're getting ready to to open a like a deli and hmm. uh, so anyway, I I'm I'm pretty busy in the community. I am part of the um, Hampshire County School Retired or whatever that's called <laughs> and so i do some things with them and so I, I do a lot in the community as well as not just acb sure sure that's a lot of hats you wear donna i don't know how you have the time to squeeze all that in <laughs> when i've just been elected to serve on the board of managers for the overbook school for the blind as as the alumni representative uh, oh, so, wow. yeah i haven't started anything with that yet but sure but, yeah. sure Hey, congrats. <laughs> congrats on all your, your achievements, you know, both athletically and career-wise and in the community. And definitely uh, have enjoyed, you know, the conversation here. And uh, once again, we've been visiting with Donna Brown. And I uh, really appreciate the time, Donna. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat and, and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me. And I hope maybe it's energized somebody to get up and get moving. Absolutely. Great words. Great phrase. <laughs> Alrighty. Again, thanks so much, Donna. Really appreciate it. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform. 
or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.